All right. So uh, this morning, um, we're going to be looking at uh, Mary, Mary's story, and as the mother of Jesus. Um, and part of what sparked this as a thought for me was um, this song that, that I'm going to have Quinn and, um, and Josh play in just a minute. It's not really a worship song. It's a, it's a song about Mary. It's really sung from Mary's perspective. Um, so you, you can sing along if you want. You've probably never heard it before. Um, but you can just listen and, and kind of hear what the message of the song is. It kind of gives a, a new perspective on, um, on Mary. So, For me, 
Actually, I heard, I heard that song last. That song is by a, a great artist named J.J. Heller. Uh, she's got a lot of great music. I encourage you to check her out. She's not um, maybe as well known as a lot of, but she's got really good music. Um, and that that song, like, it just got me thinking about Mary, and, and also made me think about this song of like, what is it really saying, and what, why does it affect me, and what what is it telling us really? What is it pointing to? And I think a lot of what it's pointing to is just the humanity of Mary, the reality of that this was a mother and her son, like, it, 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 aside from all else that was going on, like, there was a humanity, a reality that was happening there, um, and, and Mary can be difficult to relate to, I think, I, and Mary is, is a, such a unique figure, like, her, she's in such a unique position, right, the, the woman that gave birth to the Son of God, She's in such a unique position that she's hard to relate to, and so, you know, some people, like, really venerate her, like, uh, in, in a way that, that makes her above anything and, and, and impossible to relate to, uh, but I think there's so much there in her story that we actually can relate to. We're going to look at three um, specific instances and, and a couple others, really, but um, look at a couple things to kind of see what can we get from her? How can we relate to her? What can we see in her story? Um, and so we're going to start in, uh, with risk and responsibility in Luke chapter 1, 34 through 38. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we see a couple of things. This is obviously the, the, when the angel comes to Mary telling her what's about to happen, telling her that she's been chosen for this unique task. Um, but I think one of the things we sometimes miss is that her pregnancy had to have been scandalous to an extent, right? It had to have been scandalous. She was engaged to marry Joseph, uh, but they weren't married yet. Um, and, and becoming pregnant under these circumstances would certainly have raised eyebrows, right? Certainly would have been um, contentious. And, and if it weren't for the, the Roman Empire, uh, she would have been executed for it, right? That's what... Um, when, when the Roman Empire came into uh, a new region, took over a new region, um, the, they let them, for the most part, keep their laws. 
but they removed the, uh, the right of capital punishment. Right? They removed the right of capital punishment from the people, uh, and that was only reserved for the Romans to, to execute. So they would tax them, certainly they added laws, but they let them generally keep their, whatever their local governance was, but they took away from them their, their, uh, their right to execute people. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, that, that, that knowing that fact tells you a lot about what's going on in the New Testament, because um, that's what the main conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees is um, the Pharisees have all these questions about, well, what do we do with all these people that should be dead? <laughs> Right, that they've broken these laws, and according to the Old Testament law, they should be uh, stoned or, or executed in some way, and yet they're walking around, so what do we do with them? Um, and, and that's what the, one of the, the places where they kind of try to trick Jesus in a bunch of times. But here, Mary, if she got pregnant outside of these circumstances, uh, there's a good chance that she would have been um, executed under Old Testament law, and so it's a big problem, right? She even goes to live with Elizabeth for a while. She goes away to kind of help, help hide the pregnancy, help hide what might have happened. So in this request, or in this, in this command, really, of the angel, this is what's going to happen to you, there's tremendous risk, right? There's ridicule built in, this risk that, they, that she's accepting, um, that she would be rejected by her community, that she would be rejected by her would-be husband, right? Joseph, right, the angel has to intervene. Joseph's planning on divorcing her, planning on separating and saying, nope, I'm not going to marry her. The angel has to tell him, no, marry her anyway. So she accepted that risk, the risk of her reputation being damaged, the risk of ridicule by her community. She also accepted a huge responsibility, right, raising the Son of God. She had to actually keep him safe and, and well-fed and, and raise him up, right, and, and, and you think like, well, but isn't God in control of that? Isn't God watching out for that? Isn't God watching over Jesus? Wouldn't he kind of make it okay for Mary? And it's like, yes, yes and no, right? Yes, that's true. God's in control as he always is in control. But just because God's in control doesn't mean that we don't have to actually do it. Or just because God is saying, like, I'll take care of things, I'll, I'll take care of you, I'll watch out for you, doesn't mean that we don't actually have to, like, you still have to go to the grocery store. Right? You still have to figure out, like, you still have to clean your house, you still have to do all those things. That doesn't stop God from being in control. He's, he's still in control, but you're still doing it. Right? So Mary actually did all those tasks. Right? Mary actually did those things with Jesus. Just because he, you know, like, we think about the fact that Jesus was sinless, and you go, well, pff, if I could raise a sinless kid, no problem. <laughs> right? Like, that, that's... You're like, yeah, that'd be great. Now, if they weren't going to sin at all, like they weren't going to ever do anything wrong, they're going to be perfectly obedient, no problem. I can do that, no problem. But that's not all there is to it, right? That's not all there is to it. There's this, like, the daily, there's still the daily things of just taking care of a kid. And then there's still, like, normal, like, behavioral development that happens that's natural, right? And that's not necessarily, they didn't do anything wrong. Remember, they lost him in the temple. You remember that? If you keep reading in, in Luke, right, in Luke 2, if you keep reading past the, the birth account, pretty soon you get to the fact that he's a little, he's a kid, and they, and they are at the temple, and then they're on their way back, and, and they've, he's gone. Like, can you imagine what was going through Mary's head at that moment when she lost him? She's like, wow, I, I'm in big trouble with God. <laughs> right, he let, 
He gave me his son to babysit, and I lost him. That's a panicked moment. That still happens. Um, So these things, these things still, she still had to do it, right? And that's true for us as well, that God, God's in control. God, um, God, God gives, but he gives us a calling. He gives us responsibilities, and we still have to carry them out. Right, God gives us the ability to do it, but he allows us to live out the calling that he's given us. But he allows us to live out that calling that he's given us. He gives us responsibilities and empowers us to respond to those responsibilities appropriately. Right, he says nothing will be impossible with God. Right, it doesn't mean that God's going to do it, saying nothing is impossible with him. He's going to give you the ability to do it. So when we think about these risks and these responsibilities that she took on, we really face the same question, right? We face the same question. The Spirit of God lives inside you, right? You carry Him with you always. That's what we believe. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you said, yes, I I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, I I accept the forgiveness that you offer there, and and I want to live for you the rest of my life, I want to follow you, I want you to be in charge, I want you to be my Lord, we choose to follow Him then we say that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. That the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. Right? So if that's a reality for you, then rejection, ridicule, risk, responsibility of that, all of that is yours. Or specifically, rejection and ridicule are promised to you. Did you know that? Like we talk, people always want to talk about the promises of God and like great. Oh, God's going to be there for you. Like He's in control. He's here for me. And like they, He's got these promises. I'm gonna name it and claim it. Right? That's where that comes from. But like you forget about these promises. Luke 21, verse 16 through 17. You will be. That's the like guarantee. You will be, right? Delivered up by even parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you will they will put to death you will be hated by all for my name's sake name it and claim it church <laughs> right that's gonna happen he's like that is going to happen right being being a follower of jesus means you take on that risk you take on risks and you take on the responsibility of carrying jesus inside of you right we think about mary and you go okay well how can i even imagine carrying God for nine months inside of me, like burying the Son of God inside of me for nine months. Like, you bear the Son of God in you all the time. Right? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you all the time. It's not that different. That's a huge responsibility that you take on. You take on that responsibility. You take on the responsibility of being a witness for Him, being a representative for Him. The question we have to consider is, are you so in love with Jesus that you're willing to take on the risk and rejection that come with being associated with him? That's the question. Are you willing to take on that risk? That was the question that Mary had to answer, and her response was, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Saying yes. Let it happen. All right, the next thing we want to look at, fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. We often forget about the fact that, that Mary didn't stop being Jesus' mother after he was born, right? We're like, because that's the main part we see her in. We see her with him in the, in the manger scene, and, and, and she's there, and 
You know, she gave birth to him, laid him in a manger. We see him there. But she's his mother all the way, um, even into adulthood. Now, obviously, he didn't misbehave, but that's not the only struggle that comes with raising children. Um, right? We talked about that talked about that a little bit in the previous section, but that's like just the, the daily grind of, of having kids. Like, when a kid discovers gravity, right, little Lucy, she's starting that, that thing of, like, discovering gravity. You remember when your kids discovered gravity? What they do is they go, like, wow, if I drop this, it falls. And look at that. Mom and Dad, pick it up. <laughs> right? And then they like, this is a fun game. Let's keep doing it. Right? That's what they just, that's, they discover gravity. Like, that's just a grind. Like, you just have to get through that period. Um, and they're not, they're not doing anything wrong. That's just developmental. This is little things. Um, and, and Mary, of course, she had these things, these prophecies about who he would become rattling around in her head like she knows who he is. But in spite of the fact that she had been told this by the angel, that she'd been told various other things about him that we'll get to one at the end, but like she's been told these prophecies about him, told the shepherds came, right? The wise men came. She hears all these things and we say that she treasured them in her heart, pondering them in her heart, treasuring them up. Right? She's thinking about these things. And yet, after Jesus calls his disciples, or Jesus finally names his disciples, calls them, he's really starting his ministry, he's going for it, um, his family starts to worry. They're not so sure. He's ready to finally start his ministry, so he's you know, 30 years old, he's ready to start, and they're not so sure about this. We jump to Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. It says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again. So they could not even eat. He's packing the house out. Right? Verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Okay, that's that's Mary and his mother and and his brothers. They they hear about, he's drawing these crowds, he's called disciples, he's, he's gotten all these people together. They're thinking like, they think he's crazy. They think he's out of his mind. Joseph seems to have passed on at this point. Seems like he's dead at this point. It's just Mary, Jesus, and his brothers. And so then they go to try to get him. We jump a couple of verses ahead to verse 31 of Mark chapter 3. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mothers and your brothers are outside seeking you. Right, so in spite of all of the things that Mary knew, she still had her doubts. She still had her fears. And we think about what she knew. Let's just think about what, what are some things that she knew. Well, she had, she had been told that she would conceive and give birth to the Son of God. Or she had been told that by the angels. Uh, on the night that he was born, shepherds came to tell of what they had seen and heard. At the temple, Simeon declares that he's, gonna, he's the Messiah. Right? She, he says, you know, this is the Messiah. Two years later, wise men come from the east and declare him the newborn king. Um, he's a boy in the temple. He's blowing away the religious leaders about his understanding of scripture. All growing up, he's unfailingly obedient and good. She knew one of the, the most amazing stories, like really cool things that you see, is just to think about the implications of what it meant for their life as Jesus at the wedding at Cana. It's his first miracle. He's at the wedding at Cana. They run out of wine. 
And Mary tells them to bring these, to, to talk to Jesus about it. Right? She knows like he can solve the problem. And I, I've always loved thinking about like what that means, right? If you think about what that means, that she knew he could solve the problem of there not being any wine. That she tells him, just do whatever he says. That's what she tells them. She knows that he can solve this problem. So what had he done? You know, what had he done up to that point that, that made her know that he could solve this problem? You know, is she like, you know, Jesus is like, hey, mom, will you make those my favorite cookies? And she's like, no, I'm sorry, we're out of flour. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, like, what happened? Like, how did she, how did he, how did she know? Right, and then once she know, like, once she knew he could do that, then is it like, Jesus, I'd love to, uh, Make your favorite dinner tonight, but I'm out of oil. You know, like, how, how did they know? How did she know that he could solve this problem? It's fascinating to think about. It's purely, purely imagination. I'm not saying that's not in Scripture that he ever did the cookie thing. <laughs> I hope that's clear. But, but it's just like, you know, you go, how did she know that he could solve that problem? These are all the things that she knew. Right? But despite all of this experience, right, despite all of this time with him, all this experience, when he starts his ministry, he's finally ready to start, she tries to stop him. So why? Why does she try to stop him? Why does she say he's out of his mind? Why does she get her other boys and go like, we gotta go get him? Why does she stop him? Why does she try to stop him? I think there's two things. I think she had doubt. She had doubt in spite of all that. She said, what if it's not true? What if these prophecies that I've, that I've had, what if they're not true? What if my experiences aren't real? What if the things that I've experienced, what if they're not real? What if I imagined it? Or what if I, I hallucinated it? What if it's not real? What if Jesus is gathering all these disciples, doing all these things, and he's not the Messiah? Or what if he's not who I, th who I think he is? Who he seems to think he is? Who I, what we've been told? What if these things aren't true? Or she had doubt. But I think she also was afraid and she was also afraid, like, if these are true, then Jesus is going to be in danger when he starts this. When this starts kicking off, when he starts doing these things, saying the things that he needs to say, it's going to get dangerous for him. If he really can do the things that I've seen him do and that I know he can do, if that's really true, if the experiences I've had are true, then men are going to rise up to oppose him, to harm him, to eventually kill him. Right? And if these followers believe Jesus, they're in danger too. Right? If he's gathering these people, he's going to get them on, uh, uh, with him, they're going to be in danger too. She, was, she had her doubts and she was afraid. And that's true again of anyone that follows Jesus. Right? That's relatable to us because that's true for us as well when we consider Jesus. Right? If, the, if the gospel, you know, we, we think about, our, we have our doubts. Right? What if it's not true? What if it's not enough? What if Jesus isn't enough? We get, we get doubts about what if this isn't real? What if the things that I've experienced, the things that I've felt about Jesus, the experiences that I've had, what if they're not real? We have these doubts. What if I'm following Jesus for nothing? We have these doubts. We have fears. Right? If it is true, what's it going to cost me? Right? So if these things are true, if Jesus is real, what is it going to cost me? If I give up control of my life, is God really going to take care of me? 
I give my life over to him, if I stop trying to do things my way, is he really capable of taking care of me? Will he, does he love me? Does God actually love me? These are the doubts and the fears that we struggle with as well. That's what Mary struggled with. We have to acknowledge and surrender our doubts and fears to God. We don't need to, I think oftentimes we feel like, well, if I have that feeling, I have to shove it down. I need to shove it down deep until I can't feel it anymore. But in reality, God says, give him to me. Tell me about it. We have to surrender that to him. Tell him about it. Tell him what's going on in, in our hearts and minds. All right, last scene we'll look at with Mary is a scene of heartbreak in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 30. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So again, I think it's something that we often forget that Mary is present at the, at the death of Jesus. Like she's there from the beginning to the end, from the birth all the way to the death. She actually watches him die. Right? She watches the baby that she bore, the boy that she raised, the, the man that she had taken pride in, the son whom she loved. She watched him die for her. Now after... And if you think about all that she had been through at that point to keep him safe, right? After Jesus was born, she and Joseph had to flee to Egypt to keep him safe. She undoubtedly kept him safe on other occasions. If you've raised kids, you know you save their lives like once a week. Especially when they're little and especially when they're boys. Because Jesus was divine, but he's also fully human. He was a human son with a human mother, and they loved each other. They had that unique love. Jesus' final task, even on the cross, we see in this passage, is to ensure for his mother's safekeeping, for her care. Because he was the eldest son, obviously virgin birth. He's the eldest son. He's got responsibility to take care of her. And so he he looks to John, right? That we know that he's the he's the disciple whom Jesus loved is is there. He looks to John and says, you guys are, you are now as a, as a son to her, right? This is your son, behold, your mother, right? He says, he entrusts her to John. And notice that it says, after this, right? After he had taken care of that, and now that all was finished, right? He knew that all was finished. The last thing he needed to take care of was his mom. It's the last thing he takes care of. And Mary had been warned that this heartbreak was coming. That's inter- another interesting thing that, that I think we forget sometimes. Is she had been warned that this was coming. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35, when she encounters Simeon, let's read that account right now. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. (coughs) And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. But Simeon, in this passage, he reveals, he reveals Jesus' purpose. Right? He says he'll bring salvation. Uniquely, he's, he points out for the Jews and for the Gentiles, for, for everyone, that he'll be a sign that is opposed, right? They, so he, she knows this is coming. He, he's going to be opposed, and is opposed to this day. That he will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. And he also has this side note where he says, and a sword will pierce your heart also. And he, he hints to her at what this is going to cost her. And as those who love Jesus, again, this happens to us as well. Or these same emotions, these same things happen to us as well, right? That when we see Jesus opposed, it breaks our hearts. That when we suffer or we see others suffer for Jesus' name, it, it, it breaks our hearts. And we have to know that we have to allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts and, sh- to, uh, and share the hope that we have in him for a lo- with a lost and hurting world, right? It's not bad that it breaks our hearts, right? Not bad that it broke Mary's heart. It breaks God's heart. Right? The lost, the brokenness of this world is just experiencing the reality of it, right? So often in our world, so often in our culture today, there's this, how do we get away from feeling bad, right? How can we escape feeling bad? Is there a pill we can take? Is there something we can do to get away from, how can we just shove it away and, and just be happy all the time? But in reality, if we're living in a a broken, a lost world, a a world that has rebelled against God and experiencing experiencing those consequences of rebelling against God, shouldn't our hearts break sometimes? I'm not saying it should always be that way, right? We should have joy, we should have hope. But if we're seeing the world for what it really is, we're seeing what has really happened, then our hearts break sometimes. Our hearts break and... And our hearts also have joy because we know the solution. Right? We have the hope of the gospel. We know what Jesus is coming to do. We know what he's come to do. We know that he's coming back. And we can share that with a broken and a hurting world. Let's wrap it up with this. How should we then live? A couple of takeaways from this, from, from the story of Mary. Number one, accept the risk and responsibility that comes with bearing the name of Jesus. Right, recognize that those things are real. It's not something that we take lightly. It's not something that is just a side note. It's something that we take on and we take that responsibility. We take on the risks that are, come asso- that are associated with the name of Jesus. Secondly, surrender your doubts and your fears to God. Right? That actually admit them to him. Tell him, here's what I'm dealing with. I, 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 I believe, help my unbelief. Right, that's a, a, a great phrase to remember, like, I believe, 
help my unbelief, help my doubts. I have doubts. God, I want to give them to you. I want to believe that this is real. And, and I've got to give you my doubts. I've got to give you my fears. I'm going to move forward trusting you. And then lastly, embrace the heartbreak that comes with living in a broken world and recognize that you have the only hope worth having. That you have the only hope worth having. Jesus Christ, who died for sin to give us life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of Mary. We thank you for the ways that we can relate to her, the ways that we can um, feel things that she felt, God. We can feel the, the risk and responsibility that come with bearing your name, right, of, of having you dwell within us. We can experience the fear and the doubt that come with faith and, and surrender them to you and, and, and go through it, God, that we can give them to you, allow you to be our comfort, allow you to be our peace. And God, as we experience the heartbreaks that come with living in this broken world, that we would cling to you as the only hope worth having. That we would cling to you as our joy, that we could experience that joy that you came to bring. We worship you this morning. We lift you up. We pray that you would be at the center of our Christmas celebrations. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you all stand?